What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, guess what? It's just you, me, some recording equipment, and a document I've got open where I wrote my notes because we are doing listener questions today. That's right, you write me your questions, and I answer them. I sure do. And if you think you have some questions or know you have questions that you want to ask me, you can always email me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. You can also send me in your pet pictures, your thoughts, your hopes and dreams. I try to respond to as many as I can in as good amount of time as I can. And sometimes I will answer them on the show, like I'm doing right now. I've got some really exciting questions that I am so pumped, so hyped to talk about today. Let's start out with this one, why don't we? This is from Abby M. Hi, Katie. I really enjoy listening to your podcast, and I was wondering if you had ever heard of the side-blotched lizard and their rock-paper-scissors mating strategy. I heard about this in another podcast about rock, paper, scissors, but I was curious to know more and to know your thoughts on it. P.S. As a side note, you should invite Josh and Chuck from Stuff You Should Know on your podcast. So thank you, Abby M., for the wonderful question. Uh, First of all, I love Josh and Chuck. They were my entry into listening to podcasts uh, what feels like a really long time ago, which probably is a long time ago because that's... That's how time works. But yeah, no, I love them. Uh, maybe maybe I'll work up the courage to try and invite them on 
I don't know, but it would it it'd be one of those things where I'd just be like, hey, you're Josh and Chuck. What the heck? What the heck are you doing talking to me? But maybe, maybe I'll try. So on to blotched lizards. So side blotched lizards are very interesting. They do indeed have a rock, paper, scissors mating strategy. So these little guys are found in the Western United States and in Mexico in desert regions. They're only about six inches or 15 centimeters long, including the tail. So they make for a nice tasty snack for larger lizards, roadrunners. And so they have a mottled brown coloration to make them blend in with their sandy territory. And they must breed at a high rate to make up for the loss in their numbers due to predation. So the one colorful spot on these lizards is their throats. Males come in three delicious delectable flavors, orange, blue, and yellow. Females also have some coloration on their throats and they come in two colors, orange and yellow. So orange-throated males are large and aggressive. Blue-throated males are not quite as large or aggressive and they will actually cooperate with other blue-throated males. Meanwhile, yellow-throated males are small, non-aggressive, and can easily be mistaken for a female lizard. The male orange-throated blotched lizards have the following mating strategy. They use their aggression and their size to stake out a large territory and thus access to a good number of females. They're easily able to fight off the smaller blue-throated males. However, with such a large territory, it's easy for the yellow-throated males, who are small and share coloration with the females, to sneak in the edges of the male's territory and mate with some of the females. The orange-throated males finds it difficult to keep track of these sneaker males and they can't really prevent the yellow-throated males from having some reproductive success. The blue-throated males have a different mating strategy. So they have smaller territories, but they cooperate with each other to defend them. So while they are easily overpowered by the hulking orange-throated males, because the blue-throated males have a smaller area to keep track of, and additionally, have a network of other blue throats that they're friends with that will help them keep watch, those sneaky yellow-throated males find it harder to infiltrate their territory to seek a sexual tryst with a female. So this is why it's called the rock-paper-scissors mating strategy, because each of these types of males has a strategy that defeats one other type of male while they are easily defeated by the other type of male. So imagine the orange-throated male as the rock. He's big, tough, and strong. The blue throats are the scissors. They're more fragile than the rock and they can be smashed by the rock. The yellow throats are the paper. They're lightweight and seemingly harmless, but they can surround the rock's defenses and sneak in. Meanwhile, the blue throats, which are the scissors, can work together to cut through the sneaky, paper, yellow-throated male's subterfuge. So 
I guess the problem with this metaphor is that rock, paper, scissors as a game doesn't make that much sense in the first place. I've never quite understood why paper defeats rock. It just surrounds it. How does that? I, I don't really understand why that means it defeats rock. But nevertheless, uh, maybe we should change the game to orange lizard, blue lizard, yellow lizard. Maybe that doesn't roll off the tongue as well. Regardless, Abby M. also asked if there's anything else uh, that there is to know about the story. And indeed, there is. So whenever you have competitive interactions between animals, you get some really interesting game theory dynamics that make mathematicians salivate. In the case of these lizards, the population composition changes every few years in a sort of ballet of mating success. Think of what would happen if you have a bunch of orange-throated males successfully bullying the blue-throated males away. So you've got this large population of orange-throated males. So great, more orange throats, fewer blue throats. But what does that mean? You have that third player, the yellow throats. And remember, orange throats are basically the rock and yellow throats are the paper. So now the yellow throats can easily sneak into the big buff but not too observant orange throat males territories, mate with a lot of females. And then what happens? You have an explosion of population of yellow-throated males and fewer orange-throated males. So then what happens? Well, the blue-throated males now have an advantage because they have fewer orange-throated brutes to contend with, and they are uniquely able to defeat the yellow strategy. So imagine this as a cycle over the years where you'll have an increase in the orange population and then an increase in the yellow population and then an increase in the blue population and so on and so forth for millions of years. So this system can, in some cases, be relatively stable, like I said, going on for millions of years. But sometimes it actually changes. So some populations will end up losing one of the color variations, destabilizing the game. Interesting, it seems like typically the pattern is that the yellow-throated males are the ones who go first, but when this happens, you no longer have this stable game going on. You can't continue the rock-paper-scissors game because it's just rock-scissors, and that's not really a viable game. So the lizards will actually start to rapidly evolve, and their physiology changes in a very quick and pretty pronounced ways. So their body size changes rapidly. And then this game is no longer stable. And that would indicate that these lizards could become a new species once this rock, paper, scissors game is destabilized. And if they undergo enough of an evolution in terms of their biology. So that is the fascinating story of the rock, paper, scissors lizards, uh, the side blotched lizards. And a <laughs> funny side story relating to rock, paper, scissors and mating strategies. So I'm actually living in Italy now, as you may have heard on the podcast before. And I'm learning Italian because they speak a lot of Italian in Italy. Go figure. So in one of my Italian classes, our teacher taught us the Italian for rock, paper, scissors. 
and I tried to remember it. And in another class session, we were trying to decide who should read aloud the daily reading in Italian. And I helpfully suggested maybe a game of rock, paper, scissors. But I said this in Italian. So what I said was, Forse un gioco di sesso carta forbici. But the Italian word for rock is actually sasso, not sesso. What sesso means is sex. So what I announced to the class is that we should play a game of sex, paper, and scissors, which fortunately we found another way to decide who should do the reading. But I thought you might enjoy that little anecdote about how I accidentally tried to invent sex, paper, scissors in the human population and not in the lizard population. So when we get back, I will go over another listener question. So stay tuned. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Welcome back. Welcome, welcome back. So, the TikToks, the click clocks, the clippity clops, the dippity dot, the dippin' dots... Is that what kids are doing today? The TikToks. I've got a question about TikTok. So this is from Will. And they say, Hello, I recently discovered that my degree from TikTok University is worthless. So that means I have to do some fact-checking at Podcast University. I recently saw a TikTok that said that we don't know how eels mate. They said we can't find their genitals. And every so often, eels swim to the Bermuda Triangle and then more eels come back. So, Professor Katie, does this stand up to scrutiny? Aren't there more than one kind of eel? Is it all eels or just a specific eel? Can you help me understand the mores of moray eels amore? 
Thanks. I'm always happy when I see a new creature feature drop. P.S. My wife and I use the app Podcast Addict, and often when you do your Look Who's Squawkin' segment, we can't hear the sound. It's clear that other people hear who is squawking, but neither of us can. I don't know why this could possibly be. So first of all, to address the audio thing, I actually got this comment from a few people, and I think it may have something to do with the audio being in stereo and certain podcast platforms not being able to deal with that. So I've been converting it into mono tracks, and I'm hoping that solved the problem. Just to make sure, why don't we do a little audio test right now? See if you can hear this goat screaming. And if not, please write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. Or you can write to me if you do hear the goat screaming, just to share. Anyways, here it is. So did you hear the goat scream? Hopefully you did. Now, on to the question. So TikTok University, as acclaimed and accredited as it is, is not quite right about this one, but I can actually see where this myth is coming from because the truth is really weird and there are elements of truth in this TikTok meme. Uh, But as usual, knowing the facts is actually way more fascinating than the urban legend. So the mystery of eel gonads and mating goes back very far. So in fact, German biologist Max Schulze Uh, reportedly claimed that all the major biology questions had been answered aside from the eel question on his deathbed in 1874. Of course, he was wrong. All the major questions in biology had not been answered and still have not been answered. Actually, Sigmund Freud, famed father of psychoanalysis and sexualizer of pipes, started out with an interest in ichthyology, which is the study of fish. And as part of his studies, he would dissect eels, getting wrist deep in their guts, trying to find their gonads. So the eel at the center of this mating gonad mystery is Anguilla anguilla, the European eel. It's a species of true eel, which is a type of ray fin fish that have evolved into a snake-like elongated form, and they often lack a pelvic and pectoral fin. The European eel can grow up to a little under three feet or one meter long. Even the Greek philosophers wondered how these eels reproduced. Aristotle supposed that they were spawned from beneath the surface of the earth just spontaneously. Of course, this is incorrect. They also do not come into spontaneous existence due to the reality-bending magic of the Bermuda Triangle, although, as we'll soon discuss, they do migrate towards that area to mate. So the mystery of the missing eel sex parts and how they mate was solved in 1920, by Danish marine biologist Ernst Johannes Schmidt. No relation to friend of the show, Alex Schmidt. Schmidt led a long and painstaking expedition to track the mating location of the European eel. One of the reasons the eel's life cycle has so long eluded early biologists is how different it looks at each stage of its life. So the eel goes through a metamorphosis, starting out as eggs, then a small, flat, transparent larva that looks more like a giant amoeba than an eel. Then it grows into a glass eel, a transparent little thing that looks like a glass noodle. 
Then it starts to mature into an elver, which looks more like its adult form in that it's pigmented and no longer transparent, but it's still pretty miniature. Then it grows into a yellow eel, named such because its belly is a yellowish color and it's nearly adult-sized. Finally comes the fully matured, sexually mature adult version called the silver eel, which grows larger eyes, a white belly, and silver flanks. So the gonads, why have biologists had so much trouble finding those things? So the reason is that the gonads only develop when the eel is at its final stage of metamorphosis, the silver eel stage. And this final eel form develops as the eel goes on a long migration to the Sargasso Sea. So notably, the Sargasso Sea does share a corner with the Bermuda Triangle, It's a sea located in a sea, so it's found in the Atlantic Ocean, and it's formed not by landmass, but a border of currents. So the Sargasso Sea is an area of calmer waters within the Atlantic. So Ernst Johannes Schmidt, that Dutch biologist, had to follow the eel during its different stages of life following the elvers, the glass eels, and the larvae, and he determined that the eels were spawning somewhere in the Sargasso Sea. So in 2015, there was actually a study using radio transmitters affixed to eels, but this time it was to American eels, and the researchers found that the American eels actually were also mating in the Sargasso Sea. So People didn't find these gonads on eels because at earlier stages in the eel's life, they didn't have the gonads. They only developed when they went on this migration to the Sargasso Sea. Also, weirdly enough, the eel's stomachs dissolves as they make this migration, and they live only on their body fat for thousands of miles. And after mating, the eel dies. So do we actually know how they mate, like the actual mechanics and process of the mating itself. So despite the lack of direct observations in the Sargasso Sea, we actually do to an extent understand how they mate. Researchers are able to observe European eels mating in captivity by inducing sexual maturity in them with hormone treatments. And it appears, at least in captivity, that the females release eggs and the males release sperm over the eggs. External fertilization, such as is found in many other species of fish. But breeding European eels in captivity and actually successfully raising the offspring is still in the early stages of research. And the European eels' exact mating grounds in the Sargasso Sea have not yet been found or observed. So there are still many mysteries of eel sex to discover. There are other species of eel whose mating locations and behaviors are easier to observe and are better understood. So while there are still mysteries around the mating habits of European eels, as well as some other eel species, yes, we do know generally how eels mate. Yes, we know that they have gonads, and we know that when they reach sexual maturity, that's when they develop these gonads, and they migrate to a mating area somewhere in the Sargasso Sea, then return to Europe as they go through a number of different life stages. So skip that degree from TikTok University and accept this diploma in eel sexology from Creature Feature U. 
home of the fighting parasitoids. So enjoy that diploma. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to answer one more listener question and then play a game of Guess Who's Squawking. So this question is from Twitter from Mystic Mo. Hi, Katie. I know that dogs can sense when people are going to have seizures, but I just recently learned that they can also detect diabetic levels. I was just curious how humans learned that dogs could smell these problems out in humans. Thanks for the podcast. So this is a really interesting question, and I am not necessarily an expert on doctor dogs, but I looked into this. So we've probably known a long time about dogs' accurate sense of smell due to how they can track down prey, pests, and even humans. We've taken advantage of their sense of smell uh, probably far back in our co-evolution with dogs in terms of using them as guard dogs, as hunting dogs, to be able to ferret out and get rid of pests in agriculture. And so we've probably for a long time understood that they have amazing noses, and they really do. So in more modern times, uh, we've been able to use dogs to do more precise detection, like detecting bombs or controversially detecting drugs. So in my opinion, the use of drug-sniffing dogs is very troubling, especially when it's used as a justification to do a search. So Dog noses are indeed legendary, but what's also legendary is their desire to please their human. A dog's nose might be harder to trick than a dog's psychology, so a dog who knows its human trainer wants it to signal on a drug will do so even if the drug is not there. So I am very skeptical of dogs being used to justify police searches, but that doesn't mean that dogs' noses aren't truly spectacular. So the earliest use of dogs in a modern medical context I could find was during World War I when dogs were trained to be able to sniff out and find wounded soldiers. But in modern times, we're finding that dogs have a uncanny ability to pick up on the sense of things that lie below the surface. So dogs can be trained to alert if they smell something like an increase in isoprene in their owner's breath, which is a sign of blood sugar dipping. So interestingly, we can sometimes make the connection that a dog can smell or sense something without even knowing what they're smelling until later. So we've observed that dogs can learn to alert to a hypoglycemic state, which is a drop in blood sugar, But it wasn't until 2016 when researchers identified the possible signal the dogs were getting, which was the smell of the chemical isoprene on the breath of the person experiencing the hypoglycemic state. So it seems that our history of using dogs' senses start with our observations that dogs seem to have an uncanny ability to detect something happening and then we learn to how to cultivate that ability before we fully understand exactly what it is these dogs are sensing. So there are studies on dogs who spontaneously show awareness of an oncoming seizure in their owner. So they'll show things like hovering around their owner and staring at them before the seizure happens. So the dog may not know exactly what is happening 
may not have any idea that its owner is in danger, but they're maybe picking up on a scent and perhaps they've learned to associate that scent with what will become a disturbance in their owner's behavior. So imagine being a dog and you see your owner going through a seizure. That may be really distressing because you may sense that something's wrong, something's off. This is not your owner's typical behavior. And maybe it even picks up the distress on the distress that the owner is showing. So researchers are still trying to figure out exactly the what scent dogs pick up on when they detect a seizure and how they're picking up on it with respect to seizures. But we know they seem to be able to do this and they can be trained to really hone in on that skill. So a question that comes to mind is if dogs can pick up on the smells of cancers and seizures, why don't we just replace doctors with dogs? Why do we have to have biopsies when a dog could sniff out cancer? Why not have dogs constantly patrolling to catch cancer early? So the issue is yet again not the accuracy of their noses, but the psychology of the dog. Just because the dog's nose is capable of sniffing something, the dog needs to be able to accurately alert when it does pick up the smell and not alert uh, at a false alarm for it to really be useful as a diagnostic tool. But this may not always be in the dog's interest because the dog is not actually a medical device. It's a living creature with a mind of its own. So the dog wants praise, rewards, and positive feedback from its trainer. And just like the problem with dogs alerting to drugs, the dog may basically want to alert even if there's nothing there because it craves that positive attention. So how do you prevent the dog from making false alerts to get praise? It's not really easy. You need basically to have a bunch of intermittent positive signals. So basically people or things you know has the scent of this disease you're trying to find so that the dog can get this intermittent reward but again, it's really difficult to basically set up this situation where the dog will always alert only when it is detecting the actual scent, especially in a real life scenario. So that is why we do not have Doggy Hauser MD quite yet, but maybe we'll get there. So before we go, we have got to answer the mystery animal sound from last week. So the hint that I gave was don't be alarmed by this animal's name. Its call is purely platonic, warning you about an approaching leopard. So did you hear those wheezy squeaks? Can you guess who it is? Well, congratulations to Jody. And Auntie B, who guessed the Dick Dick. So the Dick Dick is a tiny antelope found in Southern Africa. They act, only weigh about eight pounds or about four kilograms. They are tiny. They are cute. And they are named the Dick Dick because it is onomatopoeia for that squeaking alarm call you just heard. So they issue that sound through a long tubular snout. And that snout also works as an air conditioner, cooling blood as it circulates through the blood vessels surrounding the nasal cavity. So 
Cute fact, when males try to defend their territory, they will dash at each other, stop, and shake their heads before colliding, which is the world's cutest game of chicken. They will do this until one male gives up the game and goes home, just probably with an adorable look of dejection on its face. So, on to this week's mystery animal caller. So, we just heard the alarm call of the dick-dick, but what is she so alarmed about? Well, it may be this critter, or at least once he's all grown up. So, what is that? Some kind of alien? A robot? Well, if you think you know the answer, you can write in to creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. I am also on the internet at creaturefeaturepod on Instagram, at creaturefeetpod on Twitter. That's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. That is <laughs> something very different. And thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Again, you can reach out to me if you have questions, and I will try to answer them either by email or when I do these listener question episodes. And hey, you know, let me know what you think of this show. If you if you write a rating and a review, I read them all. Give me some feedback. I hope it's positive. But even if you have constructive feedback, I am very appreciative of that. So thank you guys again so much for listening. And thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exo Lumina. Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.